Sport Calgary is a volunteer-based nonprofit society guided by a deep love of sport and a mission to help sport grow here in Calgary. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Original Six Feet Conversations, or Original Six Feet Conversations. Still haven't quite wrapped my head around that. My name's Rob Kerr. I am your host. Uh, full disclosure here, I am a uh, board member, director for Sport Calgary, uh, so happy to volunteer this opportunity while we're all kind of, uh, well, taking a deep breath, working from home, isolation, all of those sort of things as we go through what we're going through. Uh, uh, uncharted territory, of course, for everybody, um, but uh, we want to make the most out of it, and we wanted to provide you with some uplifting conversations uh, based around our city of Calgary, based around sports, uh, but get to know people and, and I that I would say, you know, touch it, feel it, or part of it. Um, really excited so far what we've done. Really excited about some of the people we're coming, including our guests today. Now, we're going to take a little bit of a, a detour. We're going to talk to a, a guy. Well, he's a former player, certainly, a uh, university player, uh, but a big fan. Um, and a guy that uh, many of you will know from the world of comedy. Yes. Calgary comedian Trent McClellan is our guest today. Of course, uh, you know him from This Hour Has 22 Minutes, or you know him from his, uh, he's a great touring comedian. Uh, he plays all big clubs and, and theaters across this country. As well, he has his own podcast called The Generators. Uh, Trent has uh, been a friend, uh, a guy that I've, I've worked with on, on different community projects, and I think you're really going to enjoy him. Uh, I think you're, if you, you know him, you're already going to. My friends over at the Cavalry, uh, Calvary FC. He's a big supporter. Uh, that is going to come up in this conversation. Um, he also uh, apparently not as tuned in to some of the up-and-coming sports as I thought he might be, as you'll find out in this conversation. But a big-time Flames fan. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we might even tell a story that has never been told before, which I think is going to be awfully exciting. Uh, but we're also going to dive into to comedy. Is it okay to laugh right now? What do we need? How do, how do we laugh? What, what do comedians do? We've seen all these videos of, of people uh, uh, singing songs and holding concerts. Can comedians do that? We'll get into that with Trent McClellan. Just a reminder uh, that this podcast is brought to you by Sport Calgary. Sport Calgary acts as a resource for sports organizations with a ton of information available on www.sportcalgary.ca. Learn about community and coaching resources, research, jobs, and of course, the latest in Calgary sport. It's the original Six Feet Conversations and our guest, comedian Trent McClellan. How you making out? Let's start there. How you making out with all of this? I'm doing pretty good. I think it's like, you know, like a lot of things, day one is weird and strange and day two is weird and strange. And then strangely, it starts to become normal. You know what I mean? And I, that's yeah. kind of where I'm at right now. I'm still, you know, puttering around the house trying to figure out what to do with my time and stuff. But uh, it's weird. You find resilience and you find a way to kind of just move forward. You know, how about you? How are you doing? With well, you know, this is keep this is great. Like, this has been cool. It's been nice to be able to reconnect and kind of do something and talk to people that I want to talk to. Uh, yeah. The day-to-day, nine-to-five job, working remotely. So I think we're all kind of working our way through that. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's you know, it's good. We're, we're going to be busy. But, no, I mean, this, you know, this is, I think, is part of what we're going to come out of with this, is this kind of new connection and, and these new things. And, and I think that the chance to have positive conversations with people and, and, and talk about stuff. I think that's going to be great. 
Um, because boy, oh boy, in a couple of weeks, we're going to need stuff to keep ourselves occupied. Right? Yeah, definitely. I think for me, it's, it's been a new appreciation of kind of, you know, just how much you took for granted, you know, mm. like we're, we're all so dependent on people and contact with people like our careers, our daily lives, whether that's people, you know, or you don't know. And I think that's been the eye opening thing of like, oh yeah, this can all just go away. Like, you know, you, you, you get up every day, you live your life and it's, oh yeah, yeah, you go to your coffee shop and you, you know, you do your life and you realize, yeah, don't take that for granted. And I think maybe that's the bigger lesson in all this is, is that ability to kind of uh, be in the moment more and appreciate what we have a little more. I think that's kind of what I've been thinking about. So where did we catch you? The, this hour has 22 minutes. That season had has ended, ended yeah. but yeah. you were out on tour, right? Or you were doing was, dates. Yeah, I was four shows into the tour. And uh, I was talking to my manager, and I was like, you know, this thing is growing, and, you know, what are we going to do? And, you know, when you plan a tour, that's 20-something dates, 23 dates maybe, 24 across the country. It's a lot of planning that's been going on since the fall and securing, you know, dates and venues and logistics and marketing and all those things. And at the end of the day, I was like, even before it got to a really crucial point, I thought, I just don't, in good conscience, I can't ask people to come to a space and go, hey, everybody come and laugh at the clown, you know? <laughs> it just did, it didn't feel right. And, you know, after a lot of discussions and getting a lot of opinions from different people, it was like, it was just the best thing to do to pull the plug on the tour and to, to just have people be safe. You know, it's the whole adage of life over livelihood, you know, was kind of the, the thing. I go, I can sleep with that. You know, if I lose money on this, fine, so be it. Sure. But I can go to sleep at night going, it was the right thing to do. So Trent, when did it, when did it come on your radar? Like, when did you become aware that this, you know, and I, I think we all knew it was there on some level for the last month or so, but when did it really become, you know, pertinent for you? Yeah, to me, it got to a point where you realize people were now worried about coming to shows, you know, where you're getting messages from people saying, yeah, we'd like to come, but I, I don't know, or venues started to get emails about, we have tickets, but, you know, should we be coming? And you get a sense, this sense of, I wouldn't call it panic, but people were starting to worry a lot. And I'm like, I don't think that's conducive to a yeah. great night of comedy, of people being worried about their well-being. And and, um, and, and, and you know what it was like? It, it just grew so quickly. I mean, you'd, you'd go to sleep at night and wake up the next day and everything had changed. And now there were more cases. And so it's amazing how much my perspective changed. Just in, in 24 hours, I would go like, oh, yeah, we're not. We can't do this anymore. Whereas before I was like, well... You know, legally we can still do it, and there's not been a shutdown mandated by the government, and all these things. And after a while, I just parked all that. I was like, no, I just, I can't do it. It just, it just doesn't make any sense to me right now. We all need to take care of ourselves, be well, do the smart thing, and it means sacrificing. It means discomfort. It means inconvenience and calling venues and letting ticket people know that you're not, it's not happening. But it's the right thing to do. So, give me a sense of what the rules are right now. What, like, what are the rules of comedy? right now because you know you're a guy that would be paying close attention to everything that's going on and it's not hard to find things that one could make light of but yeah. should one make light of what are right. the rules yeah for me i've looked at it more so the response to it is kind of how i've been approaching anything that i write or put out there that we're living in a new world right now we're living in a situation where we're self-isolating and how are people dealing with that i think that's kind of fair game uh, I also understand and appreciate that it's a very serious situation and there are people who are really, really sick and people who unfortunately are losing their lives. So to me, it's always been about my own personal experience and what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. 
And I feel like if I'm if I'm making fun of myself at the end of the day, that's fair game, you know. And I think that's where it is. I've seen other comedians kind of go the other way with it, and you know, that's up to them. But it's never been my bag. It's never something that I've been I, I thought was particularly funny. And I feel like sometimes people do it just for that shock value of, well, if I say this, it's going to be, oh, look at how edgy I am. And I'm like, yeah, but anyone could do that, really. It's yeah. you know, it's not. Is it is it funny at the end of the day? It's for me as a comedian. It's like that's what you're going for every time is the laugh. So. I'm not I'm not here to preach, really, you know, although I did just post something about Trump's. Uh, <laughs> I did just post something about Trump's uh, response to that reporter about the question about, you know, Americans are scared and what's your message to Americans. And Trump just lashed out. And I was like, OK, I just, you know, that thing, Rob, where you, you, you type to. something and then you, you type something and then you just look at it before you send it. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah, yeah like, right. I'll hit it. And we're going. For it. All right, so. And then, uh, yeah, I just, I don't know, I think it was just a release in the moment, you know, to kind of yeah. just go, what is going on? But uh, I understand it's difficult times. It's people are stressed and anxious and um, it's a wait and see game. And one of the great quotes I've heard from people, I don't know if you've seen this one, is the weird feeling is feeling like you're overreacting while also feeling you're not doing enough mm-hmm. at the exact same time. Yep. Yeah. No, it, it, to me, it, I'm very, I want to spend a little time on your journey, but before we get there, I'm just fascinated by your world just because early on we saw musicians. We saw people, you know, getting out there trying to do things. But for someone whose craft is making people laugh and playing off responses, I don't get this sense that we're going to see a whole bunch of comedians doing, hey, it's a, you know, improv for my living room tonight. Like that, that'd be kind of impossible, wouldn't it? People are doing it. They are. Comedians are, they? are okay. actually doing show eight o'clock tonight at my house. I actually have they actually have other comedians on the show who are like, all right, that's enough for me. All right, let's bring up your middle act. And they're, you know, just making the most of it, which must be horribly uncomfortable with no audience or one lady just did it in front of her dogs. It was three dogs and her cat. And the, the dog gets up mid joke and walks away. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> bobbing in front of my own rescue animal. Uh, so, um, you know, again, people are trying to make light of it. I thought about kind of going dark during this time and being like, you know, what, what do I have to say? That's going to add to, you know, what's out there and all the noise. And then someone else wrote, you know, maybe we need comedians now more than ever. We need some levity. We need some to, entertain us and folks are glued to their phones now because that's all they have for the most part so i've kind of taken that approach instead but you won't see any live shows uh from my from my living room uh (laughs) speaking to no one in particular you know so you know you you say that but and we've had conversations about the role of comedy and almost the history of comedy but there is a role for it there there has to be a role for satire there has to be a role just to keep tension to keep society moving forward doesn't there on some level Exactly. It's interesting because when you look at tough times of economic recession or during world wars and stuff over the years, people have always still found a way to go out for entertainment, be that, you know, live music, comedy, movies, because I feel people, especially during those times, need that escape. They need that release. And they, the great thing about comedy is you can take something that is very current and maybe can be a little bit, wow, this has been pretty dark. And if done the right way, you can put a comedic spin on it. That's the craft of it. You know, it's not just saying something for the sake of being edgy. It's like, can you take it and find the true comedic elements within that that relates to everybody? And they all go, oh. and it's like a release for right. everyone. It's yeah. a sense of, oh, man, that's exactly what I was feeling. But it was just put in a different filter for me. And I think that's the real beautiful thing about stand up. And it's funny because 
the name of my tour was the Hunt for Happy Tour. Yeah, you know? yeah. I want to talk to and, you about that. Yeah, and I, I felt before this even happened, it was like so many of my friends are going through tough times in their lives. People are going through divorces and separations and have kids that are going through issues and folks are going through a tough time economically. And I felt like at the end of the day, that's what everyone wants is just to be happy, whether it's your professional pursuits, your professional endeavors. We always want to feel happy and feel good about ourselves. And I always felt like, stand-up comedy and people being in the same room at the same time. And I say that last word on stage and everyone laughs. It means everyone's on the same page in that moment. Everyone gets what I'm talking about. Everyone feels connected. You're sitting next to a person you don't know. It doesn't matter. Everyone's getting it all in that moment. And that was the whole goal and point of the tour. And then this thing happens and you're like, it kind of highlighted it more now than ever. But the irony is you can't do the tour. So it's, it's, it's a weird time, you know? Does it give you some does it jazz you a little bit that at the end of this when we come out of this whatever that is you, you that's going to be more needed right we're going to need to come back and you're going to need to get out there and and, and yeah. be out right yeah I, I really feel that i think people are going to be almost like someone who's been in the desert and hasn't had water it's like uh, i gotta get i just need to hear someone make me laugh i need to hear <laughs> someone process this world yeah and uh so that's exciting and i know i know those days are coming and it's funny, I've been sitting around the house and I've had all these ideas kind of stewing and I'm like, oh God, I wish I could go to a stage somewhere right now and, you know, work it out and, and try it. But it's like, you know, just you don't have that availability. But I think you're right. There'll be a new appreciation for it as performers, but also I think for audiences to say, yeah, we're, we're glad we're able to do this again. Well, talk about that. There's a couple of things that I want to drill down on, but let's start with that one. Because right now in the sports world, you know, we're looking at how do athletes stay sharp? What are they going to look like when they come back? And, you know, you see the videos of working out. Yours is a skill set, too. I mean, it's not uncommon for you. I'll throw in a little plug for my friend Jack at the Comedy Cave. You might go down there. You might yep. work out new material and things like that to keep your skills sharp. What can you do to kind of keep at the top of your game through all of this? Yeah, it's a weird time for me because, you know, you finish a full season at 22 minutes. That's six months in that machine doing that thing. You then go on the road for, I guess it was four dates, which is still a ton of travel in eastern Canada and stuff. Yep. And so I get to a point where I get kind of creatively fatigued, if that makes any sense. Mm, sure where you're like, yeah. you know, I'm done thinking in that gear and I'm done looking through that lens. And uh, at the end of the tour, I just planned to take some time off and not worry about stand up at all or, or the show or sketch comedy or anything and just unplug and go live life. So what I've done now is kind of just, I've moved that time to now mm -hmm. where it's like, I'm not thinking in those terms at all, but still ideas show up and they arrive and they kind of knock at your door and you're like, okay, well, I might want to put that in my phone and, and note it for later. And that's kind of where I am now. I'm not in this massive mode of harvesting. George Carlin would call it uh it's like harvesting. You're just harvesting ideas. Yeah. You don't know what they're going to be yet or how you're going to use them, but you know that's something you want to get to at some point. So that's kind of always just kind of going on in the background, but I'm not actively doing it. Um, but for me, what I've realized is that rest is just as important as the creative part because that allows me to go into the creative season energized, full of ideas, not tired, not fatigued. So I'm kind of using this, this time now to go, okay, the universe has kind of stepped in and said, you'll take your break now. You know, and yep. you, you don't have any control over it. You'll take it now. Yep. So that's just what I'm going to do. One more on this particular topic, and then I, I got some places I want to take you, but that has to do with this hour has 22 minutes. Mm -hmm. What will this do for that program? What will be your, because it is a, it's a satire of, of humanity. It's a satire of society. Um, mm -hmm. When you come back in the fall, how much can you look back? How much will you be able to revisit, do you think, what has happened or is going to happen here in the next couple of months or how much of that will be forward looking? 
Yeah, it's one of those situations where you feel like, will it still be on the lips of people? That's kind of one thing we always ask ourselves. Is it still relevant, even though it may have passed? Does it have a shelf life that allows it to kind of come into yeah. to current time and current day? Because the show is so current. And I have a feeling, I don't know this to be true, but I have a feeling that there'll still be an ability to comment on it and to say something on it. And even though the show won't pick up again until September, you know, but I have a feeling that whether it's this self-isolation period we're going through right now or the economic trickle down of what is going to be after this and what that means for people, there'll be some element of it to comment on. And I feel the show will probably do that uh, when it picks up again in September. Can I make a pitch? Sure. Okay. I would be terribly disappointed if you didn't do Marble Night in Canada and did something on the marble racing that is going right. on online. Like, it seems to me that we need the, the, the <laughs> Brian Burke of marble racing and, the, you know, the, the Ron McLean of marble racing. Like, you know, marble racing in Canada on Sundays, we're going to go to small towns and see how they race marbles. Hometown marbles. Home yeah, hometown hometown marbles. marbles, right? <laughs> it, it seems to me that that, whole, that thing writes itself. It does write itself. I got to pitch it. Now it's co-written by Trent McClellan and Rob Kerr. <laughs> and you're going to end up in the credits at the end of the show. Like, Rob Kerr? Who the hell is Rob Kerr? Like, ah, it's, a, it's an idea we worked on in March. It's, uh... <laughs> you are a, you're a big footy guy. You're a big Flames fan. Yeah. How's life without sports for you? It is weird, you know, and, and I'm sure a lot of folks are in this boat. You don't realize how big a role it plays in your life. Like, even living in Halifax for six months, taping the show, I would still get up in the morning, mid-morning, and turn on, you know, just on online, Fan 960, sports radio, what's going on with the Flames. Yep. I didn't catch the game last night. I want to hear the talk about it. Just these automatic things that you just go to, going to Sportsnet, going to check scores, tickers. It's like all that is gone, and you're left with this void and this hole and again, it reminds you just how big a role it plays in your life. I'm also a huge NCAA March Madness fan. I forgot about that. That's right. Right. Yeah. So I was, you know, kicking tires on perhaps going to Atlanta this year and going to watch Final Four. Um, I've been a few times, and it's a great, it's a great event. If, if anyone has never been, it's a fantastic weekend for a college. For, if you're a basketball fan, it's, it's they do a good job of it. You know, get to another U.S. city I haven't been to. Yada yada yada, guys trip kind of thing, and it's all just taken away, and you can't even watch it on television, and it's. It just, yeah, it's, it's been a harsh reminder of kind of, wow, this has monopolized a lot of my life. And, and a lot of this stuff, you know, since I was a kid, like I watched March Madness since I was 14 years old. You know, it's been a, yeah. a just a tradition, just like Christmas to like, OK, this is the tournament starting, your pools, all that stuff. And then you take it all away. It is a it's a humbling, humbling thing. It's a humbling thing. Have you ever had you ever given consideration to this? You know, and, and the example I would give is, you know, in my old life in sports radio, that day before the Major League Baseball All-Star Game and the day after, nothing in the world of sports. And it was like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? What are we? We got four hours and there's nothing. There's not a single game. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we were having seizures over that. And now we're going to go weeks, months without this. Had you ever That's contemplated weird. it? Oh, yeah. I, I never, ever thought it was ever imaginable. You're right. You have those pockets where there's not much going on. And you're yeah. like, what are we going to do for these few weeks? But to now have potentially a full summer, no football, Euro championships would be this year. Right. Probably not going to happen. Maybe no Olympics this year. Like for people that are avid sports goers, I mean, it's just this abyss and this void of now what do I do? And so do you go down? A lot of folks are going down the retro route of, you know, um, I'm going to watch the Canada Cup from 1987. You know, it's uh 
and uh, find stuff online and YouTube and stuff to kind of get your fix. But it, it's it's forcing folks to be creative, you know, to kind of look at, well, what what do I do? Do I start watching darts? Do I start watching uh, dog racing from 19, you know? Well, that's what I like. I, I swear. I, I know I made light of it. I think that marble racing, I think that thing is going to come out the other end. You're not end. giving up on this. I am not giving up on marble. Because have you seen it? Have you seen it online? I have not seen it. You have not? I will be watching it. I'll guarantee okay, you Okay, so you haven't seen this. Because I've, no. I've seen this a couple times. And it's like, oh, okay, we're just going to release marbles at the top of a big, long hill. And you're like, oh, well, wait a minute. The red marble's out in front. I wonder if the blue marble can catch. I think we are going to come out of this with more investment in, in that. Right. What if? What because, if it's? But that's it, a long way of me get. Okay, no, I'll let you riff on it. But there's a long way of me getting to. Have you been able to invest in watching something you know the outcome to already? Have you have you gotten into watching and the replays, or is something that you don't know the outcome more exciting? Yeah, well, I'd rather watch something I don't know the outcome to. I'm one of those guys who, if I've taped a game, yeah, I'm not on social media. Okay. Like I don't need you going and Flames winning. I'm like I was at 30 minutes away from watching that thing. You know, like I, I get really upset about that. Right. Um, so I'd rather not know the outcome. Although I have gone back and watched a few games where I, you know, I, you know, it's 87 Canada Cup, and I'm like, you know, how brutal was that hockey? And I don't mean in terms of skill. I just mean in terms of how yeah. violent it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's interesting to go down that rabbit hole and kind of watch all those things. Basketball, the same thing. Watching some of the greats and just watching highlight reels and stuff. So I've done a little bit of that. But your marble thing is interesting to me because. At the end of the day, that's all people want is competition. That's right. So whether that's rolling two marbles down a hill, what if that takes off and it replaces these, yeah. these major infrastructure sports that we know and cornerstone sports are like way cheaper to just put two guys at the top of a hill with two marbles. Well, everybody, like we don't need right. the stadium, you know? Everybody's looking at drone racing at eSports. We need something. Like NASCAR racers are going to race against each other in virtual reality, right? Like right. we right. need something. And and I <laughs> like I love the fact that we're showing stuff. Um, here's another one. Have you watched the WWE or the AEW do these shows in these empty arenas? No, I have not. See – that's the other thing that we're, you know, it's live. I must watch it. It's live. But then right. a wrestler comes out, his pyro goes off, and he's playing to no crowd. But he's playing to. Like, it's all to. instinctual, right? That's and then he's know. yelling, why are you yelling? <laughs> well, that's like comedians doing shows in front of no one. It's like some of the comedians are like, uh, they'd say a line, you know. Yeah, I'm, from, I'm not from the city. I'm from out of town. This guy knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> <laughs> just in a habit, just pointing at no one. You know, it's like. So those reflexes are still there. I get it. Yeah. It makes complete sense. But it, it just, again, it's, it's a reminder of how much you need that interaction and right. how dependent we're all on it. We all are on it on a daily basis. You know, take it away. You're like, Ooh, what do I, how do I, what do I? Okay, you, you and know? I haven't chatted. So tell me about the inaugural season of the, the Cavalry from Un- Trent McClellan. Unbelievable for me. Um, as a lifelong soccer fan, someone who played to a certain level to just – to see that, I remember sitting in the stands at Spruce Meadows. I think they were playing the Whitecaps, Vancouver, the MLS team. Yeah. It's packed. Beautiful day. It is loud. And I remember looking at my friend at the time and I went, they did it. Calvary FC did it. Yeah, They took something that didn't exist a year ago. This facility didn't exist a year ago. You know, the soccer part, part of it. And they got this city to buy in. And now... Credit to Tommy and that whole crew. 
to put a great product on the field, a team that was competitive right from the get-go, right out of the gate, yep. getting points in all competitions, the city slowly over time just believed more and more and more. Then you knock off the Whitecaps and you advance to the next round. And I got to tell you, they're playing the Whitecaps, and I, even I was like, yeah, we're pretty good, but <laughs> this this might be one-way traffic, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, you don't know what the level and how they measure up, and they and they did it. And so just hats off to everyone involved with that because it, it it's a tough year of a league, as you know, is so difficult. I mean, you've – even in an existing league, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to sell tickets and it's tough to get people out, and there's a lot of distractions and stuff that people can be doing. And I thought in that moment they did it. They really pulled it off, and uh, they've done a great job at Spruce Meadows. I mean, there's some kinks to work out, obviously, in the early going, and I think it'll get better as the years go. But I, I really like where that league's headed, and I like where the team's headed. So you're a Cornerbrook guy, right? Yes. When did you move to Calgary? I moved to Calgary in the fall of '03. Okay. So yeah. did you? Would you have seen? I think there was a Mustangs or something like that. Or yes, there, there was. I've a... gone to an early. I went to a game at McMahon Stadium. Okay. Calgary Mustangs, Rob, there were probably 600 people in yeah. McMahon Stadium to watch this game. Yeah. It's got the football lines and, you know, yeah. and, and quality was pretty good. It wasn't bad, but I was like, oh, God, this is this is not sustainable. This is not a thing. Right. And literally, yeah, I think, you know, a few months later it was folded. It was done. So I got to one of those games. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then I think they moved to Foothills, didn't they, or something like that? Foot, yeah. Foothills Athletic. Yeah. and. And that was the, that's always been the strength of, of Tommy, I think, is that he had vision and he didn't rush anything. That, no. that, the whole idea of Foothills FC, the, the PDL team, was to get to this, right? Yes. And it's, and, and, yeah, it's, and, and you're right. You, you take your lumps in that league. You right. You take your lumps in, okay, how do we market? Yeah. What size venue do we need? Like, that's, that's kicking tires the whole time. And I think you're right. It was always that bigger vision of when we go to the next step, we've learned some lessons in this, in this level in the PDL league. And it served them well. Not only that, the core of that team goes to make this Calgary FC team. So in terms of style of play and, and what we're about and what that culture is, it was already kind of already brought in with that core of players that he already had. But I think you're right. So many leagues get it wrong where you go too big. I compare it to um, a lot of music festivals or comedy festivals. You know, you have this great idea. We're going to have a music festival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what do you do? You you go too big too soon. It's We've got 97 acts and we've got 42 venues and it's whatever. And and a lot of these tickets don't sell. So I've always felt like you start small and you, you get it to a point where it's okay. It's about to bust. It's about to break. And then you expand. I think that's kind of been their motto is like, let's let's start smaller here. Let's make a soccer specific stadium, which I think was so important. Yeah. Let's not put them in McMahon and yep. it's oh, it's there already. Let's whatever. It's like, no, no, let's let's make soccer the primary sport. I've always thought that's the big North America. I'm I'm old enough to remember, you know, when the NASL or came to, to Edmonton and Canada in the, in the late 70s. And, you know, it, it was the big time. It was Pele and the New York Cosmos. But yeah. it was still low key and low budget because you were playing on a foot on a CFL field yeah. right like yeah. you you have to have your own home it has to be and i think that's what we saw edmonton has that a lot you know vancouver figured that out a long time ago yeah there's a cost to it but boy don't ever underestimate the i the, the the power of having your own place yeah i remember david beckham when he first came to mls and this was mls you know fairly early days yeah. still i guess yeah i remember him going to take a corner kick and it's in a, on a football field, and he's kind of in the end zone. You know, the fully painted end zone, like it's all blue or whatever. And I'm like, what is David Beckham thinking right now? Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I played for 
Manchester United. I played for Real Madrid, and now yeah. I'm, I'm I'm about to put my the soccer ball on a cougar's head to 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 <laughs> to take this corner kick. It's just like, what? Where am I? And how much money am I making again to be here? Because but but that, is, but yeah. then there's there's lots of young Canadians that you know wanted to play a little taste of pro hockey and they'd go over and play in England and Scotland and they would play and practice in arenas that had curling rink logos right. on. Right. So right. that that's right. the equivalent, right? Like, it's, okay. Yeah. So th- why is there a curling dot here? Like this yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. And I think you're right. They probably are both thinking the same thing. Sure. Oh, you guys aren't serious about this. This is just <laughs> the thing you're fooling around with. Yeah, it's, exactly. You know, you, you don't really give it, you know, yeah. so I feel that's what I mean to see the facilities now and the PDL, the rivalries that have already been built, you know, right. between Forge and and uh, Calvary FC, Calvary FC and Edmonton. And uh, and that's where it is. That's the fun. And for folks who haven't been to Spruce Meadows for I mean, I, I go, I've been to Spruce Meadows for a bunch of different things. I've been there for, you know, the holiday Christmas lights. I've been there for for horse jumping in the summer. It's an amazing facility. But to go there on a game day and get there a couple hours early and you know, and have a few drinks and you get some food and it's a yeah. beautiful sunny day. It's an amazing day out. Like it really, really is. Everyone, I got to go to about seven or eight home games this past summer and I went with a couple of different people each time and everybody was like, oh my God, this is, this is so much fun. I didn't even know this existed, you know, in terms of the facility itself or I'd never been to a game. It's a great game day experience. You know, they've done a really good job on that side of it as well, which is just as important as the product on the field and having a good team. You got to have a good game day experience. And, Did- uh, they put a lot of work into it. Did you get to go to games out east at all? Have you seen any? I did. I, yeah, yeah. I got to go to two games in Halifax, and hats off to them as well. I mean, they they've built a really great culture. You see jerseys everywhere. Okay. Their pitch is right downtown. Their their little stadium. Yeah. So people go to pubs. They prime up a little bit. They all march to the stadium with their flags and their their yep. shirts on. Yeah. And again, really really cool to see just how everyone's bought in. And again, something that didn't exist the year prior. It was like this is just. Just out of the, you know, out of the ether. So, okay, there's so many different directions, but when did it, when did, and if you don't mind, can we, when can we stop with the soccer BS? When can we, when can we just call it football? Like, I I am sophisticated enough to know that football and football, I get that. I mean, I I can chew gum and walk at the same time. Can we drop the soccer facade at some point? I agree. And here's the thing. I grew up in Newfoundland. Not a lot of folks know this, that. There is no football in Newfoundland. There right. is no American CFL. There aren't football Not fields. in high school. Not in high school. There are no programs. You'll have some touch football leagues that, you know, get together, beer league type things. But football is not a thing in Newfoundland. It doesn't right. exist. Soccer exists. So in Newfoundland, it could replace, it could go back to football easily, quickly. There's, nothing to, repl- there's nothing to replace. Here, you, there's a culture of CFL, and there's obviously a bigger NFL culture and things as well. But to me, it just makes sense to call it football. It's like you cook it with your foot. You cook a ball, kick a ball with your foot. Right, right. right? In football, you do it what six times a game? Maybe it's it doesn't make any sense. It's just we're being lazy. That's all. It is. We're just being lazy. It is. It is. So I'm going to continue to call it football in this conversation. When did football come into your life? When did when did you get connected with the sport? And was it always number one for you? It, I, I mean, I was a big hockey fan in terms of street hockey. My friends and I would just get home. Storm days didn't matter. We're going to plow the street and go play anyway. So street hockey was kind of first. And then soccer was shortly after that. And I'll never forget, I was about eight or nine years old. 
I was in my friend's front yard. We play soccer every single day. All the neighborhood kids would all gather in his yard and play soccer. And then one day, his name was Aaron Pittman. Aaron goes, anyway, I got to go. And I was like, well, what do you mean? It was his yard. <laughs> we were like, what do you mean? He goes, I, I got to go play soccer. I got a game. He goes, I go, we're playing soccer right now. What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, no, I, I'm in minor soccer. And he went in his house, Rob. And this kid came out with the most beautiful jersey on I'd ever I never owned a soccer jersey in my life. The most beautiful soccer jersey I'd ever seen in my life. It had his, a number on the back. It had his name. Now, Rob, this was a Fruit of Loom t-shirt, basically, is what it was. With, <laughs> but to me, sure. it was like, this is, oh, like, it was unbelievable. And I went, I want one of those shirts. That's what I want. I want to be, I mean, there's an organized game somewhere. And that was my first experience going to minor soccer after that. And then it was just a huge part of my life. My family didn't have a lot of money growing up. My grandparents raised me. And so soccer was my first time getting on a plane. Soccer was my first time seeing different parts of Canada because I was I got to a level where I could make provincial teams and then I played in university. So it unlocked a bunch of doors for me. I mean, I love the game and the camaraderie and all that. But when I reflect on it now, I'm like, it was a vehicle for my life. And a lot of my self-worth, I think, was in the game, you know, was trying to win games and win championships and, and all mm -hmm. those things. It was just something that galvanized me, I think, and, and, and loved it. So, uh, yeah, it goes deep for me. But what was it? when you really dig down, what was the attractant? Was it just the freedom, the creativity? Yeah. Was it the camaraderie? Was it just, you know, I, I, to me, I don't think there's anything greater in the whole world than an empty arena that with a, uh, that's just been cleaned, and you're the only guy in there and you're looking at it. I oh, say to kids all the time, it, uh, you could write a million stories off of this. What, yes. is it, what is it about football? It was amazing. It, it was the smell of fresh-cut grass, would instantly just energize me. I'm like, oh, this surface is perfect to play on. Like right away, I was just a, yeah. a, a nerd for it almost. Yeah. Um, and the real thing I think that I gra I gravitated to was it was cheap. You didn't need a lot of equipment. I had a ball that I got at a sports store in my hometown, and I would pound that thing off a brick wall next to my house till the panels came off of it. You know, and it was like, well, it's still usable. And so, because you just needed yourself, throw it up in the air, control it, do different tricks. It's a game you can just, just by yourself, you can do it. Then you gather your friends, you play in a field. Again, no money needed. Just need this little ball that costs 20 bucks, you know? And I think that's what it was for me. It was a sense of, doesn't matter how much money your family has or doesn't have, you can play this sport and you can be a part of it. And I think for me, that's the thing I needed. The other thing I think, when I look back on it, it was also a sense of control in your childhood. It's like, if I can get this ball to do what I want it to do, then that allows me to have control in every other aspect of my life because I can do this. Sure. I can make get this thing to do what it, what I want it to do. And the third thing was it gave you status. You know, when I started to be to develop a fairly high level of skill with it, all of a sudden, as I said, doors opened. Now you're the first person picked in gym class. Now you know, like yeah. now you're, yeah, we want this guy on our team. You know, so you went from the kid who was kind of awkward and kind of shy to now, oh, I I have value now. You know, I I you know you you you've reinvented yourself in some way. So. I I, uh, I owe a lot to football in that regard. I think you played all the way up through university, correct? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Memorial was... University Seahawks. Okay. And uh, we had some good teams over the years. I think we we lacked goal scoring, unfortunately, Rob. There were a few years there. That... Thanks for bringing that up, Rob. That's still <laughs> Lots of clean sheets, that. were there? <laughs> we're done. Yeah, a lot of 
thought of you. You had 75% possession, but uh, you lost 1-0. So uh, it's a, it a long flight home, Rob. It's a long flight home. But, um, you know, the great thing, I mean, everyone says it in sports, but it's just, you know, I go on the tour now and I go do stand-up shows. And I was at a show in Pictou um, County in Nova Scotia last year, and I get to do sound check, and someone hands me a letter. I said, this, someone dropped a letter off for you. And I was like, okay. And uh, there was no white powder on it, so I knew it wasn't a bomb. So I, I go, okay, I'll, it's not ticking. So I, so I open it up, and uh, it was from a guy named Tommy Dunderdale, who's an RCMP officer in that town that I played soccer with in university. And he writes, I had to go away for a conference to a, another neighboring town. Just want to say how proud I am of you and uh, all the great memories we had. And I'm like, that's what football does. It's yeah. like you, you still have those bonds and people that come out to shows now who are like, I played with you in, you know, 94, da, 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 brought my wife, whatever. Like, you know, it just, it's amazing those bonds that you have from games at times where your heart was broken and, you know, you didn't meet your goals or times when you, you won it and it felt amazing. And, and um, you still hold on to all that stuff today. I can still remember a lot of it vividly. So it's, it's etched in there. Um, in conversation, our friend uh, Trent McClellan is with us. I'll let him do a promo in a second. got to read one. Sport Calgary is a volunteer-based nonprofit society guided by a deep love of sport and a mission to help sport grow here in our city. And, of course, they are the ones that provide us a platform to do this po- podcast. Where can we find you? I'm not done with you, but this seems like a good time to do a, a, a cheap plug. You can find me uh, in my place, self-isolated, as everyone should be. Uh, also, uh, you can find me at uh, trendscomedy.com. All my details are there right. and all my social uh, uh, media stuff. And, uh, yeah. Uh, and this hour, has 20, this hour has 22 minutes. Is it on Gem? Is it on the little CBC Yeah, app? it's on the Gem. Yeah, it's on there. A lot of our sketches are on there. Um, it was a fun season. It was weird because... We finished so soon this year, put out the same number of episodes, but because there was no Olympic break, right. we didn't have those two-week stints where we, we shut down for two weeks. So end of February, we were done. And I was like, really? We're not doing St. Patty's Day sketches? And we're not doing – so it was uh, it was kind of interesting how the, the season went out, but it was it was a fun one. I go back a couple years. My favorite one is your Ed Sheeran uh, fan. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like, A, because I knew you, and it was just so good. It was so good. <laughs> I forgot that one. That's amazing. Yeah, that you brought that up. I was like, that was season. Yeah, my first season on the was show. Was it the yeah, first one? A... I thought it was the second season. Was it the first I... season? No, I think it might have been the first one. It's, okay. I just finished my third year. And what's amazing in our production office is they take still photographs, you know, from all the sketches throughout the season. So when you're walking through the production office, sometimes you'll stop and look and go, was that this year? It's like, yeah, that was the second second show of the year. But you, you pump out so much stuff, it all just kind of bleeds into one. And then you, you're right, you can't place, was that earlier this year or was that two years ago? Sometimes yeah. you don't know. You know, right. it's just because so much is getting made and, and you move on to the next thing. You move on to the next week. So, uh, yeah. So you played, uh, you played university uh, football and then you graduated with a degree in comedy. Is that how this works? Uh, yeah. Or did go, you go to a technical uh, school for that? Which, which was it? <laughs> yeah, they look at your marks and go, yeah, I don't see med school here. Um, <laughs> we, have you tried telling some of those silly stories you tell on the bus? Have you tried doing that professionally? Um, the interesting thing about Newfoundland, although it's c- created a lot of great comedic talent, I think, over the years, yep. there was no stand-up comedy scene there. So when, you, when I graduated, there wasn't a comedy club to even go do an amateur night. So comedy, to me, was just something on my television. It was something in my VHS. It was never... I didn't know a comedian. It wasn't like I could talk to someone who's like, I'm a stand-up, and here's how you go about it. Yeah. 
But to me, it was just like being an astronaut. Like, oh, that would be amazing, but that's never going to happen. I mean, how would I even? And then when I moved to Calgary in 03, I got a job working at Boys and Girls Club, which I was doing in Newfoundland prior to community centers, kids after school programming. Yep. And I thought, well, if I'm ever going to try stand up, nobody here knows me. So if I suck, it'll be like it never happened. <laughs> so I thought this is the perfect grounds and situation to do it. Plus, you move into a new city. Everything's new. You've questioned about everything. It was perfect fodder for stand-up comedy material because I was questioning everything that was around yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I'm living in a big city now. I'm living in an NHL city. More traffic, more everything. So I just had questions, which is where comedy comes from. It comes from curiosity and frustration. And I don't understand that. That's where comedy comes from. So it was perfect. And uh, walked on stage, went to an amateur night, and I went, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. It was that kind of big of a moment, you know? I, Katrina LeMay Doan was a guest on this podcast, and and everybody knows what she did. You know, maybe our most important and decorated Olympic athlete. And I always use the term fearless for her because here she is. Even now, she's trying new sports. She's starting to do tria uh, triathlons and things like that. And when I bring that up, she says, "I don't think you're using the right word." Because I definitely was scared. Yeah. I have heard because I'm a big fan of the genre that the hardest thing to do is to step on stage for the first time and bare yeah. your soul. Is that the hardest thing you ever did was get up there for the first time? Yeah, definitely one of the hardest things for me personally, because people think, Oh, you're a funny guy or your friends think you're funny or whatever, but getting on stage in front of a bunch of 300 strangers who've paid X amount of dollars with their arms folded going, go ahead and make me laugh. Yeah. I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. Go is very different. So I remember being at the old Yuck Yucks Club at uh, Blackfoot Inn. It's now a laugh shop. Yep. I'm waiting in the wings, and the MC is just cooking, Rob. I mean, he is slaying this audience. And I didn't find out till that day that I was going on. I didn't I didn't have weeks to prepare. I had. I found out that day, do you want a guest spot tonight? Okay. And I went, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. So now I'm waiting in the wings, and he goes, the host goes, all right, you guys seem warmed up enough. All right, this next guy, it's his first time on stage. And, Rob, I remember my legs literally. And people say your knees are shaking. I never had. I thought it was just a saying. Yeah. They are knocking. Like, they are. And I'm thinking, if I can walk this 20 feet to that mic stand, that will be a victory. If I can just physically move my carcass to that stand, I get there. I do my first joke. And they laugh. And then it's almost like this weight fell off your shoulders. You're like, right. you trusted yourself again. You trust your intuition. You go, they do get me. And then I was rolling. But that walk, I, t I tell people all the time, it's the longest 20 feet walk I've ever done in my life. And it changed my life. But that 20 feet, and it's like anyone. Right. You want to get to the gym for the first time. You want to quit smoking. You want that. It's a small act, but it's Mount Everest yeah. to most people. It's Everest. And it's, that's your Everest. And to me, that's what it was. That 20 feet was changed my life. But it was terrifying, absolutely terrifying. So what I want to know is, was it an was it a open mic night or did you go up on a, a regular evening? Because it said you only found out that day. And and I guess right. the, 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 the other part of that question is, I've always wondered this. Are open mic night audiences different than a, a regular night at a comedy club where there aren't amateurs where, you know, you're paying and you're going to go see three or four guys. I just wondered if that crowd was there because they want to see an accident. 
<laughs> That's right. Yeah, we're here to we're here to see the train wreck tonight. Uh, yeah. This wasn't good. I'd like my money back. Everybody was good. <laughs> I, I'm here for the garbage. Uh, <laughs> my first time was an amateur night, so it was set up specifically where you'd have a professional host. Okay. Your headliner would be professional, seasoned pro, and then it would be seven to eight amateur comics who may be amazing or may be garbage. You you, you don't know. So that was my first time on stage, and. They, at the time, there was a really good amateur program where the uh, manager of the club, they did workshops on a Tuesday night with a, a headliner before the show. And he would answer questions or she would answer questions about the business, how to write jokes, how to structure your set. And I would go there with a pen and paper and go, OK, yeah, all right. So, OK, yeah. Uh, question like it was literally like it was a, it was kind of university for me. Yeah, yeah. And because uh, that's how I gained all my knowledge about the craft. And then and I got to go up because they put names in a hat. My name didn't get chosen from the hat that night. So I was like, OK, well, it's not tonight. And the manager goes, hey, you've been here for a couple of weeks coming to these workshops. You want to get up tonight? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, OK. And that was it. I walked on. But in terms of audiences, I think there are some people who just love stand up comedy. You know, you always. Audiences vary. There's people who are like, yeah, I got these free tickets and uh, yeah, I'm staying yeah. in a hotel and I got uh, two hours to kill. And But there were a lot of people at that time in 04. Where it's during an economic boom. People were going out. Comedy clubs were full Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I mean, sold out every single night. So I came in at a great time where you had real comedy audiences, people who were, yeah, I like comedy. And if you're funny, I'm going to laugh. And if you're not, I'm not. So you had a true gauge of your material and where you were at. There's a lot of open mics that are terrible where it's, there's four people in the back of the room are nine comics who didn't get on that night. So they're angry and bitter that they didn't get on. So <laughs> you're making no one laugh, but that's like going to the gym. That's like, if I can get a chuckle out of these, yeah. this horrible train wreck, then when I get to a real audience, this thing has got a shot, but this is my heavy lifting here tonight. So there's a bit of both of that. I think you'll get, uh, there's still some horrible open mics where you're like, Oh God, what? So, uh, but a lot of the clubs, when they have an amateur night, usually it's a pretty good audience and there's folks who are comedy savvy there. When did you understand the audience? I, because you, I think, you just gave me a very rational, well thought out. I'm going up. I'm seeing who I'm working in front of. I'm not worried because he's in the, he's just here. He just killing two hours. He's a fan. When did you get that knowledge of who you were working for? The great thing about starting here, and I tell people this all the time, starting here in Alberta in 04 was the first time I walked on stage. You, you do shows in Calgary. The next thing you're in a car, you're driving nine hours to Cold Lake, Alberta. The next weekend, you're playing Kindersley, the agricultural center at the thing at 12 o'clock noon on a Saturday. So basically, you're getting put in front of people from small towns, villages, big cities, middle of the day, late night drunk sober so you're getting a gauge of all you know what i mean like yeah, your material yeah, is sure, like, oh sure. it, it killed at 12 o'clock on the sunday we're gonna see how it does on the late show at 10 30 in saskatoon good luck to you sir yeah. you know yeah and you get that gauge of okay that works well in a small town but it doesn't work in a city or it works well when i'm playing edmonton because they got traffic you can't talk about traffic in rosetown saskatchewan no one knows what you're talking traffic was the tractor slow? What's he talking? Like, so you, all these reps and all this experience, you get to read an audience and people don't know this, but comedians, people think, Oh, we go on stage and the audience judges us. We're judging you long before we ever get on stage. 
We're watching people walk in the door. We're seeing how old they are. We're seeing if they're real chatty out there before the show starts. Are they yelling stuff out? How drunk are they? Is there a stag at party? Is there a bachelor party? You're taking in all this data and subconsciously it's kind of calibrating your act and your material for the night. That's the way I always approached it. Like, and, and I use the sports parallel yeah. of it's come up on my podcast a lot. But when I was playing soccer, I would get to the pitch super early with the team. You'd walk around the pitch, stand in the middle, look around, get dimensions, see how long it is. I'm on the wing. I'm going to go over there and see how close it is to the stands. I'm familiarizing myself with my working environment. Did the same thing in stand-up. Get to the venue. Walk on stage. What are the lights going to look like? How much stage do I have to work with? Are the chairs going to be that close? Are there going to be tables? Okay, right. Is there going to be a stool? Like, I wanted to familiarize myself with all that. So when I got out there, there were no surprises. It was like, I've already been here. I already know this visual dimension yep. and what it is. Yep. And it made me feel comfortable. So I could apply a lot of that sports stuff to, um, to my stand-up career as well. One last one on the stand-up, and I've always wanted to ask a comedian this. How much do you own the joke? You write, you do the material, you shop it. Have you ever run into a situation where, boy, this is, this is really good. I really like this. But the audience doesn't respond, and then you have to some way give it up at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. We could, yeah, it's like, it's like letting go of your kids. You're like, I love you, but uh, you can't live here anymore. You're going to get, get your own place. And uh, it's weird. That's the goal. You know, like I can think it's hilarious and I can think that's the best thing I've ever made and I've ever created. Yeah. But if an audience goes, nah, we don't get it. It doesn't matter. And the parallel I've heard, which gives me great comfort, is John Mayer has said during interviews, he said, I know I've had albums where I, you know, wrote 40, 50 songs. I narrow that down to 12 for an album. I then go now the record company says, OK, so what do we want as a single? What are we going to release as the first track? And he's like. You know, the first track is this one. Here's why. It's this. It reinvents me. It's this thing. It goes out in the world and it just goes. <laughs> he goes. So the audience will always tell you you're never smarter than the audience. Right. You may think you are like, right. that's my best work. And the metaphor I used and no one cares. We like the joke you did about the sandwich. When the girl dropped the sandwich, the server came out and came to my table and you made fun of the sandwich. That was the best thing. They don't care about your polished closing bit that you think redefines you as an artist. Nobody cares. So there's a lot of humility in that, knowing that whatever you make, once you put it out in the world, it's really no longer yours. The audience will decide. It's like making a bunch of um, dishes at a, at a meal and you put them all on the table and you realize no one touched the macaroni and cheese. And you're like, well, that was the thing I thought everyone would love. Right. Like, right. No, we like the uh, store-bought rolls you brought from the Safeway. That was uh, that was the highlight of the uh, meal. So, the audience will always decide what they like and what they don't like, and your humility will determine whether or not you listen to that or not. Some comics are like, "Well, no, I'm just gonna. That's what I like, and whatever." It's like that's fine, but the audience will tell you. One last one on this topic, and that it, it just has to do with why can comedians become actors, and in some case, very good actors, yet comedian or actors can't become comedians you know what i mean because <laughs> yeah, i'm assuming i'm assuming you didn't have acting you know an acting background before this hour right no i mean i've done a bunch of commercials and stuff sure and, and and those things that's a great question i think because comedians often will build characters into their acts so it's not acting per se but you'll go 
you know, I was at a restaurant the other day and I heard this guy talking next to me. And then you do the voice of that guy at the restaurant and you totally go, you don't think of it as acting at the time, but there is an acting element to that of changing your voice and your body language and all those things. So there's those elements in it. And for some reason, it happens a lot in Los Angeles, obviously. When someone's a good comedian, people automatically assume that they can do the other thing. Like, you've got the perfect look and sound for this role we have for a sitcom and yada, yada, yada. And then they, they give the comedian acting lessons or they work with an acting coach or whatever, but they just assume that they can step into it. And some can and some can't. But for actors to go the other way, you're not really doing stand-up comedy quite often while you're acting. Yeah. The same is not true. So you're usually playing off somebody else. There's a whole listening thing. And then they go on stage and try stand-up and realize, like, oh, yeah, this is, this is not at all what I thought it was. I thought I was pretty clever and funny. It's like, yeah, this is a craft. Um, and not that acting isn't, but you understand that it's yeah. one almost can encompass the other, whereas the same is not true going the other way sometimes. So that's a great question, Rob. I got to tell you, I got to give you a shout-out, Rob. I've heard a lot of questions about stand-up and acting. Never put that way. Kudos to you, sir. Thank, thank you, sir. Uh, I'm inspired by you. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Um, oh God! Before I let you go, I gotta know, uh, Newfoundland—that's—that's that's Maple Leaf country. Yeah. Yep. Here you are in Calgary, and you are a dyed-in-the-wool, see a red, Calgary Flames fan. Why? What do you love about this team? Confession here: I was a Leaf fan until I probably a year or two before I moved. I was really sick and tired of the Leafs spending all that money. And just not getting good players. Like, they weren't building a championship quality squad. And I was like, oh, this is just a default. Like, you're not, oh, you're not trying to actually win here. Like, we're just having older players and overpriced contracts. And I got fed up. Then when you move here, I remember my first, one of my first days, I drove down to the Dome. It was in the fall. I said, I've never seen Saddle Dome up close. It's a big deal. I had my buddy's old hunting truck, this pickup truck that was falling apart. He's like, yeah, you can drive that thing. I had to start it with a screwdriver, Rob. I'm not joking. I had to put a screwdriver in the actual ignition. Oh, He's like, yeah, that's fine. I go, yeah, I don't see uh, any charges pending for me sometime in a Safeway parking lot trying to jimmy a pickup truck. But anyway, um, and I go down to the uh, Stampede. Flames had just finished practicing. I didn't get a chance to get up to the, sorry, to the, to the Saddle Dome doors. And this big uh, SUV pulls up, stops at a stop sign, and it's Jerome McGinley. And I went, that's, that's Jerome. Oh, I see. And it was like, I just sat on the curb like, wow, this is amazing. And when you move to an NHL city, you just get caught up in it. Like I, you know, 04, of course, was that magical run, sure. Red Mile, all yeah, that time. Yeah. So what an amazing time to move here and to be part of this city. And uh, that was it for me. I was like, Flames fan for life. Like it was just diehard Wow, I can't believe. And like I said, even now being on the East Coast, it's like uh, the game's on at 11, Halifax time. Like uh, my call time tomorrow is at 7 a.m. Okay, I'll watch two periods. I'll, I'll watch two periods. And then I'll, well, now it's 3-3 going into the third. I might as well watch the third. I mean, you got to watch the third. Yeah. So it, it's just, it's addictive, you know. And uh, I got to say the Flames in general do a great job of being out in the community and and, and being immersed in it. So it's it's uh, it was an easy thing to do. All right. Since it, it kind of feels like this is the time for confessions and everything. Um, I got to tell, we got to tell the story. Um, we became friends after we saw you at a, at a, a comedy show that 960 did part of, and you came on the show, you were nice. And then you started doing some community events with us. And 
you know, I was kind of feeling like a big wheel. Hey, Trent, you want to come down to practice one day? Yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> that'd be great. And so I'm feeling like Rob Kerr is personally going to be turning the fortunes of the Cowboys. We're bringing actors and comedians now. It's going to be like, you know, when Jack Nicholson's watching the Lakers. I'm bringing, <laughs> I'm bringing celebrities. So we bring you down, and and then I introduce you to Brad Trilliving, and and you had a great conversation, and I, you know, big chest stuck out there. Hey, look at me, I'm hell. And then tell them what you witnessed. So we're sitting there, and you know, I'm a hockey junkie, so I'm just loving it. And uh, you know, if you've never been to a um, a practice like that, it's you can hear a lot of what's going on. Yes, you, you know? can. You can hear, you know, he's, he's ripping into guys, and he's not happy with. Uh, Passes weren't going tape to tape. And, and Glenn Gulletson was a coach at the time. And Glenn was starting to, he's getting a little agitated, you know. Guys were, were a little sluggish. Guys were a little sloppy during the drills. And then Glenn Gulletson absolutely loses it. And he takes his stick and he threw it, Rob, into the, I guess it went to the camera wells, right? Where all the yep. cameras were yep. up on that first thing. Yep. And all you hear is this stick just bouncing in the camera well, just and everyone's dead. dead. <laughs> I was just jaw drop, like, oh, oh, does this happen every day? This, how do I get here? And do you remember what I said to you at the time? I said, I should go, I go get the stick? Should I go get the stick? <laughs> Glenn, Glenn, you dropped your stick. You're like, probably not a good idea. <laughs> Oh, it was so amazing. Oh, you're, yeah. like, you're like, yeah, no, normally it's pretty, uh, pretty, you know, pretty boring. It's, uh, <laughs> no, I just, I remember being so full of myself. Hey, you know, like, look at me. I'm bringing in Hollywood actors and comedians now. And then this happens and it's, and it, there's no other way to describe Like it was like a church in there. You could have heard yeah. a pin drop. Like it, it was, was something else. Eh? It was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> and I remember, and that stick seemed like it was made of, like it kept bouncing. Oh, it's like, I know. It's just like it didn't stop making noise. No, but but you and the, you you're such a professional, right? Because none of us are moving. Everybody's looking and everything. And you turn to me and you go, "Should I go get the stick?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was oh, that was uh, so good. And and I remember because of course that's all we talked about that day, and everybody yeah. was talking about it. And I. I so desperately wanted to say, well, I brought Trent. I, it's not my fault. Like, I did my part. I don't know. I tried to lighten the mood. Um, well, people, too, had questions about, I remember at the time, they'd ask Glenn if it was premeditated. If yeah, was, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Was he going in that day with the intention yeah, yeah. of doing that? You know? No, and, and uh, he wasn't. <laughs> I no, think we saw no, no. that. I think it was just no. a coach who'd had enough and seen enough and was like, I got nothing left. Here, <laughs> take this $300 stick and... I wonder what hand he shoots because I'm a writer. So it's a good time to go up well, and press that. Well, and you had the you had the great line about. So do I just bring my equipment? Like, can I just, <laughs> I just if I bring up, my like, gear? Can I show up and play? You guys, uh, you guys doing five on five or what? How much is registration? We, uh, you guys do beers after or just treat it like a beer league here? And uh, but it was it was a, no, it was a great day. It was a cool thing, and uh, I appreciate you bringing me down for that. I uh, I was like a kid in a candy store. Yeah. But I was just taking it all in, and oh, we definitely. got to go downstairs for the presser downstairs and hear Glenn uh, answer you yeah. know about it and stuff. Yeah. So it was it was super cool. Yeah. You are uh, you are such a special guy. Um, I want to throw out there that uh, one of the guys that when we want to do something the community kids sport or whatever, it, it just yes right away. And you gave us a great prize last year for targets for kids. You come out for that. So uh, I, I love you, man. I think the world of you. 
But the last question here on this podcast is one that I stole. I keep saying this because I want to make sure everybody knows, full disclosure, this is a Pat Monahan from Train question. This is what he oh, asked nice. on his podcast, and I love nice. it. Give me your hidden Calgary gem, and I'm going to leave it at that. You make the parameters. Your hidden Calgary gem. Hidden Calgary gem. And that could be anything I want it to be. Anything. Restaurant. You want it to be a field. You want it to be a bookstore. I don't care. Just give me your hidden. When this, when this is all said and done, I want people to start scribbling these down so that when yeah. we're back and things are normal again, we want to give a little love or we want people to go to some places. Give me your, your hidden Calgary gem. My hidden Calgary gem, I think, is that view. When I ever need to go clear my head and I need to get a coffee and just kind of be around no one and sit or sometimes it's been with somebody else to just go talk or whatever that view off Crescent Heights that looks mm-hmm. over the cityscape. Yeah. I, for a part for a little while I had a, was living with a bunch of buddies on 13th street. So we weren't far from that. And I remember sitting on that bench, just looking at the city and, and I don't know, there's just a calmness about it. There's a, you get the beauty of the city. You can still see the mountains off in the West. You can still see the, how big the skyline is. I, and to this day, I still go there. I still go to that spot from time to time and just sit and think and reflect and be quiet. And it, it's, it's, I think it's, I mean, I've seen it in a few photographs, obviously, but I think a lot of folks in, who are not from Calgary might not know about it. And to me, it's a, it is a diamond. It's a diamond. Love it. You're going to, now that you got some time, you're going to put some more generators podcasts together. Yeah, definitely looking at getting some more guests together and, uh, going down that road now that I have more time. And, uh, much like this, I just love good conversations, man. I love learning about people's process and about their struggles and their road to get where they got. And people have been so generous with their time. So uh, actually, I'd love to have you on. So we should oh, do that. Done. I've got I've got a moment or two. Uh, it's okay. you know tight. We'll have to work it in somewhere. <laughs> Once again, the website so everybody can find you. Trentscomedy.com. And all my social media uh, connections are all there as well. So, uh, yeah, check it out. And we believe Gem, the CBC app, will have this yeah. RS-22. Go yeah. Just, you know what? We're not going to tell you where it is, but there's an Ed Sheeran skit. You'll have to binge watch <laughs> to find it. My but shining moment. I, I'm, I'm still a little bit in awe while you're here and not in Hollywood with your own sitcom based on that, like a whole Ed Sheeran sitcom. Right. Uh, I love you, man. You are the best. If, if this keeps rolling, don't be surprised if we call you again. I really enjoyed this, and I still didn't even get to the things I wanted to talk to you about. All about it, man. Thanks so much for having me. Good to see you. Loved it. Loved it. Every minute of it. Uh, this is one funny dude. Check him out. This hour has 22 minutes. Check him out uh, when when we come out of this and we're back and and the new normal hits and, and he's touring around. Uh, do yourself a, a, a favor. He is so good. And he's ours. And he's ours. Love the story. Love talking to my pal, Trent. Uh, by the way, uh, for more information on Sport Calgary, check out the website, sportcalgary.ca. Um, boy, we continue to big, uh, book some big guests. Uh, we're going to get into some community stuff. Um, we're going to get into some country music or have gotten into country music. Uh, it depends on how they piece these things out. I'm, I'm digging this. I hope you are. Uh, if you are enjoying these conversations, make sure you share them. Make sure you let other people know. Um, it's Calgary-based. It's about us. It's about our community. And, I, and I'm really... Again, I keep giving the credit to Pat Moynihan uh, from Train, but he deserves it. Love that question, and I love the answers we've gotten to Hidden Calgary Gems. Uh, it's, it's quickly becoming one of my favorite parts of these conversations. I'm Rob Kerr for Sport Calgary. This has been an original six-feet conversation podcast.